Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, Head of UK Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Jan Navruzzi and Joanne Spadiga. So in what I guess was quite an otherwise quiet week, or so far a quiet week, we're kind of really only halfway through, we're recording this on Wednesday. Certainly in the UK and the Euro area, um, especially given it's been a, a holiday shortened week, but but with not really a loss on the calendar, all of the action I would say has been driven by the US. We're on our third successive day now of rates selling off in the morning and then rallying as the US come in and we get some uh, US data, which this week has all been centered around the jobs market. We've had the jolts data and the ADP data, which are both, um, I guess, indicators of, of labor market strength. Uh, or tightness, I should say, both of which surprised to the downside. What do you make of of that data, Jan? Now, again, usual monthly caveat that we're recording this before the NFPs on Friday. Um, so we don't have the luxury of, of having that data, although listeners may well have that already. But, but with that in mind, what do you make of the data that we've had so far this week, Jan? Yeah, so one of our main themes uh, since we had the banking turmoil in the US was that uh, we will see both a drop in consumer and corporate confidence, but also uh, directly visible impacts from lower lending, lower activity, uh, which will eventually have spilled over into the labor market too. Uh, of course, it's too soon to kind of pound the table and say it's happening, particularly since the jolts that are actually covered February uh, and tends to be a relatively, uh, in our view, at least like a little bit of a flimsy measure of the labor market and also uh, measurement errors could have uh, had an impact on it post-pandemic, uh, you know, things like online postings and all sorts of tracking issues that could have either increased the, you know, the actual strength of the underlying labor market. Uh, but for whatever reason, that was February, markets took it in stride and we rallied it afterwards. Uh, like you pointed out, we also had the ADP, uh, the payroll provider uh, companies data release that comes up before the non-farm payrolls. And that basically was similarly weaker than expected. Uh, they have changed their methodology now. They're not really trying to be aligned with the official government data that's be, uh, that will be published later this week. Nevertheless, they have a rather massive sample size that they can uh, use in their calculations. And uh, I think an independent approach to just providing what they see is also similarly good look at the labor market, uh, which shows all softening that was for March. Uh, just before I came here, I managed to get a quick glimpse into the ISM services too that was released this morning uh, at at 10 a.m. And the picture there is similar, a bigger drop than expected. The prices paid component is weaker, the employment component is weaker. So all signs are indicating towards a, a softening in the in the data, which we think will persist in the next few months. It's kind of like the economy tips into recession. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier when I started speaking, but the whole the slowdown and through the credit cycle uh, is, in our view, one of the uh, bigger themes that will play out throughout this year, at least over the next few months. And it's hard to have confidence how quickly that will happen. Uh, but we we are sure that the sign on, or at least like the, the direction of impact is clear. It will be negative. Just the question is how much and how soon. Uh, so I think the first inklings of weakness in that are now visible. And markets reacted appropriately in our view uh, massive rally in the in the front end we just got just another leg lower like you said in the u.s session uh post data uh and we think that will continue so 
just generally align with our views of uh, bullish rates and kind of uh, steeper curves. Okay, Let, let's elaborate on that a little bit then. Like you say, rates have kind of pulled back again, um, given all the data this week really seems to point one way, I suppose, when it comes certainly to the Fed's reaction function. I think I'm right in saying that we will have a whole another round of all of this data before the Fed meet at the beginning of May. But given that, you know, everything that we have so far, all the data that we've seen and, and the direction of travel, I suppose, that we're assuming, how does this change your rate view? Uh, and I guess, well, you kind of already sort of mentioned that it doesn't really change your your market views all that much. But um, how much further, I suppose, you really think that the market can go? Right. And I'll, I'll talk about quickly about the Fed, even though there's still a decent amount of time, about a month actually until the meeting. And then next week we have the CPI uh, for March and uh, we will also have the retail sales that are all very, very important uh, economic uh, data points. But as far as the Fed goes, we don't expect another hike. We believe the cycle is pretty much done here and the next move in our view could be a cut rather than a hike. Not necessarily. We don't have a specific date on it, but uh, going back to everything I said about the weakness in the economy, we expect uh, from here on we would we would think a, the market will price in more rate cuts going forward, and uh, B, just generally trades that try to fade the rate cut pricing for this year, uh, you know, don't really look appealing to us just because of the distribution of uh, risks in our view are skewed much more to the downside as far as growth goes, uh, which should have an inflation uh, dampening impact on inflation too. Uh, can the Fed ha hike at the next meeting? Market is close to a coin toss. Uh, it was actually a bit higher. Uh, you know, market pricing is higher than a 50% chance What as I was uh, walking through this room. So the Fed might as well just, or they could just take the pricing, go with it. Uh, they have done that in the past too. If the market provides, they can just uh, uh, you know, use that uh, and, uh, and deliver a hike. But that is, again, not inconsistent with our view because uh, I'd like to remind the listeners of the previous meeting where the Fed hiked, but we, we had what was called or dubbed the so-called like the dovish hike where uh they did deliver a 25 base point hike but the communication was that further rate hikes may be appropriate uh, we're not really certain on the rate path going forward uh which of course uh the way the pendulum swings in markets it was immediately interpreted as what well, they're either done or cuts are you know ahead of us we could have something similar in any case if they did hike we would expect uh the bet to signal the end of the uh, rate hikes uh, rate hiking cycle at the, at the next meeting, uh, which in our view definitely has a, a bullish connotation to, uh, or at least bullish implications to uh, to rates. Uh, as I pointed out, we like, as far as duration goes, we do prefer longs here. We think, uh, you know, areas such as three to five years have uh, still a lot more room to outperform. Uh, the rate cuts have been getting pulled earlier into the year, and uh, we don't, like I said, I don't disagree with that. Of course, this also implies that the curve should steepen. Uh, these are large cyclical moves, which we think have now started. Well, we look at things like five thirties, which tend to be cycle leading curves in the past. We think this time will be no different. We are going to see a bull steepening in that part of the curve. Uh, some stuff that we've, or some trade ideas that we've discussed with our clients have been, how do you take advantage of uh, that view, but you put it also in a more like carry efficient format. So there's things that you can replicate your bullish uh, directionality in this regime. Things like three five sevens, where it's held the kind of five-year point. 
uh, you know, there's all sorts of ways to do this in a lower beta, uh, more carry efficient way for people who are, or for investors who are just generally can't or don't want to take a, you know, an outright directional risk because we do uh, appreciate that the realized volatility is extremely high still too. So, uh, yep, our views are more or less unchanged, uh, bullish rates, steeper curves, even higher conviction now. Uh, and we think this will be a large move that will continue for the, for the remainder of the year. But I, I think that's enough from the U.S. now. And uh, I'll toss the ball right back at you. And, uh, you know, from the U.K., I thought something interesting this week earlier was that uh, the BOE uh, made some comments or at least they had some communications regarding the minimum resilience requirements on on LDI. What's your take on that? Yeah, so although the comments themselves were last week, I know we didn't catch up last week in any way. I still think that's in part what's been driving the flattening of that part of the curve. So um, I do think it's it's still very relevant because I, I think that's a large part of the flows that we've been seeing this week. So, you know, I think we spoke on the podcast the week before last about, um, or we've spoken many times really about um, this supply-demand imbalance at the long end of the curve and the fact that LDI, who tend to be um, the natural buyers of kind of longer duration in the UK, both on the conventional and the index-linked side, have been noticeably absent this year. And one of the major reasons why they haven't been buying as much at all as they usually would be um, is because they were waiting for clarity on the regulatory landscape um, following the events of kind of September and October last year. Um, rate, waiting for clarity in terms of the kind of rules and regulations that they would be subject to going forwards. Um, and until they were published and, and became evident, um, you know, we have kind of anecdotally been under the impression from many of our clients that the LDI activity just wouldn't really return in, in any kind of meaningful way. So obviously the Bank of England's Financial Policy Committee publishing its recommendations was interpreted by the market or certainly some sectors of the market as, um, I guess, the green light now for, for this activity to return. Um, but I would just caution against that a little bit. So the Bank of England just published its recommendations, and I'll come on a little bit onto my take on those in a second. Um, but they haven't been kind of reinforced or fleshed out, I suppose, by the regulator, which is the, the TPR, the, the, the pensions regulator. Um, and until we have clarity from them, um, I don't think that this is really the green light for for kind of LDI activity that that the market has assumed it is necessarily. Um, so the TPR is due to publish its annual statement, which should include it, its own recommendations and and probably really reinforce what what we've heard from the Bank of England um, at the end of this month. Last year, it was published on the twenty seventh of April. So. Sometime toward, you know, over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure that that we will be expecting this. Um, but yeah, the, I don't think the Bank of England's publication of it, the recommendations itself were um, uh, the go ahead for a return to kind of LDI buying at, at the longer end of the curve. But I think other pockets of the market thought that it would be. And hence, we've seen kind of flattening into and out of that announcement over the last couple of sessions. When it comes to the recommendations themselves, like I say, there's still some, um, I guess, question marks that I think the TPR themselves will clarify. And that comes down to how um, the recommendations kind of apply to different funds, like uh, different types of funds, like pooled funds, for example, how that differs to 
or how that compares to to what the the way in which the rules will be applied to um, segregated funds. But actually, the kind of headline recommendation, the fact that they expect LDI funds to be able to withstand yield moves of uh, minimum 250 basis points um, is probably largely in line with um, A, expectations of, of what those recommendations would be, but B, also anecdotally, you know, speaking to to that community, I think that it's most funds will already be, be operating uh, with that kind of minimum re- resilience level in mind, if not, you know, above that, given that that 250 really, really is a minimum. So, um, yeah, overall, I, I don't think it's uh, particularly surprising what they announced, but I certainly would say hold your horses and expecting this to kind of bring about a, a big wave of LDI demand. I think, you know, this is going back to what we've said previously. I think this is a really a, a second half of this year's story. We won't hear from the regulator till the end of the month. And as we know, typically LDI are quite a slow moving beast. So even once we have heard from the regulator, that doesn't necessarily mean that the next day we're going to see a, a flurry of activity. Yeah, I guess that wasn't the, it was earlier this week, not earlier this week, since we did not record last week, it all feels like yeah. <laughs> a while long stretched period of uh, a long gas to the, to the next one. So uh, anyways, uh, you know, looking past the LDI that was not this week, but last week, uh, commentary <laughs> throughout that, um, not much happened in the UK actually this week. I, I suppose the main, uh, kind of like main headlines that people looked at were around uh, the Bank of England speakers. And we had a little bit more of that, uh, some more commentaries that caught my eye too. Do you want to just quickly run us over through that and what you think about, uh, what do you make of those uh, remarks? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's had, like I said at the, at the beginning of the podcast, it really has been especially quiet week this week. There's not been any data really of note. Um, I think final PMIs were the highlight and it's never great when final PMIs are the data highlight of the week. Um, but we did have some central bank speak. Uh, we had two keynote speeches actually this week from Bailey, sorry, not Bailey, from Pennell uh, and Tenrare. So I guess starting off with Tenrare because that's the easier one to cover. Um, she's a very well-known dub, has been the kind of um, dovish uh, dissenter um, for you know the last set of meetings, voting for unchanged rates versus others that have been voting for for bigger rate hikes, um, and so I guess really unsurprising that her um, her keynote speech was you know had very dovish tones to it. She was very clear that she felt like rates needed to go lower um, to bring inflation back to target over the um, forecast horizon, rather than go higher. For markets, I mean markets largely ignored what she said I think largely because she's not really you know uh, her dovish bias is is well understood by markets and and well you know well telegraphed uh, but also perhaps more importantly because her term as an external member on the MPC um, is soon coming to an end so she will vote in the May and the June meeting uh, and the June meeting will be her last one and, and she will then step down uh, Bloomberg actually reported that we may well hear about her replacement as early as this week. Um, so we'll be watching out for that. But, um, they've floated a couple of, of names. I guess the important characteristics that that they said they were looking for in this Bloomberg article were that um, they wanted it to be a woman in order to kind of keep up with their gender diversity um, goals, uh, but also that they wanted 
um, whoever it would be to have kind of market experience. So the names that they did mention were, um, you know, women that were kind of one, I think, that's working on the sell side and, and one on the buy side as economists right now. Um, they haven't called me up yet, but still time, I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so, you know, she will soon be replaced. So I think given that the you know, markets are kind of discounting what she says anyway. Um, and in terms of her replacement, it's always difficult to kind of prejudge whether someone's going to be particularly hawkish or dovish before they join the council, before they join the committee anyway. You know, we've seen some members that have sounded pretty hawkish before they join, but then actually um, change once they're on the committee. Um, but as one of the more, you know, one of the two dub or certainly more dovish members of the committee, it's difficult to imagine uh, a replacement that's even more dovish, really. So I guess at the margin, her replacement may well give the the committee a bit more of a a hawkish bias. Uh, but but you know, I can only really say that very marginally in, until we have more clarity on who that will be. Um, anyway, the perhaps more interesting speech then was from Pill. Um, uh, oh, actually, just one more sorry, one more point I will make on Tenraro because we have been having this question a couple of times. Um, you know, she, her speech was very lengthy and really all about QE and QT, quantitative easing and quantitative tightening. Um, but to the extent that there was any kind of key takeaways other than that she thought rates should, should be going lower, um, she kind of vindicated our view that, that we've had there. Um, similarly to the Euro area, QT can continue um, once the Bank of England pause hiking rates as you know regular listeners will know we think is is has now happened it's our base case uh that rates have now peaked and i think qt can continue um whilst we're in this pause period but also once they start cutting rates unless they're cutting very very aggressively um i think that that qt can continue because she made it very clear that you know they're considered as, as two kind of separate tools and they're not necessarily working against each other um, but yeah, Pill, um, I guess that was kind of pitched as the more exciting speech, perhaps a more interesting one for markets, given everything I've just said. Uh, but in the end, actually, I don't think markets took all that much direction from it. It was very balanced. It was very, you know, on the one hand, we're looking out for signs of persistent inflation and the indicators that they're looking at, I guess, most uh, notably to do with the labor market in terms of wage inflation and the tightness of the labor market. Um, he said that they've been mixed, so it's difficult to draw a conclusion from those. But then on the other hand, he also talked about, you know, this kind of pipeline of tightening that's still to be delivered to the real economy. And, and regular readers of our notes and listeners will know that it's that kind of lagged transmission mechanism and this this pipeline of tightening that's still to be delivered to the real economy, which drives our, you know, more dovish than the market's view and, and why we don't think that the bank need to hike rates anymore. But ultimately, really, he kind of just stressed his data dependency and the fact that it's it's too early to prejudge how he's going to vote in May. So I'm not sure that it gave markets all that much direction and actually just came out really at the time of, of you know, the weaker than expected labor market data in the US, as as we've discussed, Jan, um, and, and that drove UK markets more than Pill did. So overall... Um, you know, nothing in the central bank communication this week that changes our view that we think that rates have peaked at four and a quarter, um, but we don't expect rate cuts until next year. We do hear from Bailey next week um, and Tanrera 
Uh, but obviously, you know, <laughs> given everything I said, Bailey will be, and um, given the fact that he's a governor, goes without saying, he will be much more closely watched and, and will take a step from that. Anyway, enough from me. <laughs> Let's move over to Europe then. Joanne, thanks for joining us this week. I guess away from, you know, all of the data and, and central banks and things we've been talking about, a theme that's kind of been bubbling along in the background, and we did talk about this, you know, vaguely or, or briefly with Giles in the last podcast, but, but political... Uh, I was going to say instability, probably not the right word, but political themes, I suppose, are rearing their head again in Europe. Um, we've had ongoing kind of French protests on the pension reform. How is that influencing your market views when it comes to, uh, I guess, French spreads and and uh, yields? And, and how do you think that the, or what's your take on how these reforms might, might uh, evolve and matter going forwards? Yeah, so the pension reforms in France mean that the retirement age is going to be increasing now from 62 to 64. And that's been met with some uh, a bit of unrest in France and some protests as well, just going uh, against really this what this reform would bring. And just as controversial has just been the government's decision to push this forward without a vote, using an article of 49.3, which they have to be able to do that. Um, so, I mean, there is a tail risk as well that we see a referendum here. And the left has requested this. So April the 14th will be the day where we find out whether the referendum can come through. But I do think um, for now, the short-term political risks are quite contained. Macron's ratings are falling, but we do think that in the medium term that this is actually positive for the public finances of France. Um, The aging population and the impact of that on public finances is something that we've seen a lot of different... um, rating agencies such as Moody's uh, kind of cite as a reason why France might uh, be less stable. Um, and that's obviously not, um, obviously an issue that they've been thinking about quite a while. Macron's already mentioned this before, so it's not ne- really new news, but it could mean a mildly more positive public finances outlook for France in the future, which is broadly supportive of the spread. Uh, for now, we do think that there's not very much political risk actually in the spread for now. And it's our fair value model does suggest that that value should be around 48 basis points, which is pretty close to where it's trading for the moment. So we don't actually think that there's too much to see um, in the spread for now. But I do think an important topic that we've mentioned consistently is really the supply picture, where a very, very heavy German supply picture combined with the ECB QT does play negative for Germany and potentially could be a positive for semi-core, including France. So that's something we're looking at for the rest of the year. Okay, and just to wrap up then, bringing it back to the data on the European side as well, because um, I think the data highlight for Europe as it was in the UK was final PMIs, but perhaps they were a bit more interesting in that, although uh, the European data, the European prints as a whole were revised down versus the flash estimate, we saw big revisions up on the services side, I think in both Italy and Spain. Uh, what's your take on that and how much does that matter for the ECB and, uh, you know, going forwards? Yes, it's been, it's been fairly interesting with the PMIs given the services sector has been revised up. We also did get some industrial production data today that was also higher than expected. So I do think it's quite clear that activity is pretty resilient and more resilient than we were expecting before. And the PMIs as well are above 50, which is above the recessionary kind of territory. Um, so I do think that overall the picture is is really improving and the 
on the other side, I think on the manufacturing side, we're also seeing that the inflation pressure there is coming down as well. So both of, both of these things really are positive in terms of uh, the European outlook going forward. Uh, but I do think um, what that means is that the kind of where we see terminal in our three to three and a half range is potentially at the higher side of that range. So more like 325 3.5%. Uh, like we didn't really talk about this last week as well, but um, about euro area inflation prints last week as well came out. And that kind of saw headline inflation coming down below expectations, but core remaining quite sticky. And that kind of core picture is something I think that the Hawks and the committee will emphasize and have emphasized this this week, which does again push uh push the risk really to the three point two five uh to three point five percent area of our range. And that is very and I do think market pricing is essentially there on that. Uh the, the thing that we do push back on again is just this rate cuts uh expectation with uh, rate cuts being priced at the end of this year. We really don't see that in the euro area. If the data is resilient and inflation still is above target, we really can't see why the ECB would choose to cut rates. Uh, so that's something we're, we're pressing against. Rate cuts potentially coming in at the end, uh, so middle of 2024. Um, and this on that line as well, something that we are really interested in at the moment in terms of the cross-asset themes is looking at the US rate cycle versus the European rate cycle, where you know growth and inflation expectations in the US are quite similar. Uh, to Europe, but uh, obviously policy rates are in quite different places at the moment. Um, so we do think there's scope for US rates to come down uh, faster than and also below European rates uh, over um, the course of this year and and I guess early next year. Uh, and that's another idea that we are um, quite excited about at the moment and that we're talking to clients about. <laughs> I'm glad you're excited about that. <laughs> Okay, guys, uh, that's probably enough for this week. We talked for a lot longer than I was expecting, given that it feels like next to nothing has happened. But there we go. Perhaps that's just a testament to how much we can all talk. Uh, thank you both for joining me this week. And just a reminder to our listeners, if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week. <laughs>